Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host this week, Amy Nelson, and joined with me today is Richard Marquez. Richard, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you today? We're doing good. We are down a person, though. Richard, what happened? Oh, man. I don't know. Lee got curious. He went into the, shuttle, uh, the shuttlecraft Elbaz, and we all know how weak that uh, that little shuttlecraft is, but he got stuck in the Delta Quadrant because he was <sighs> too curious to check out this new wormhole, and now he's stuck there because it collapsed. Well, we are going to have to then do our best to get him back. And it's a good thing because we today, this week, are going to be talking about the road to Voyager. And as we know, Voyager is in the Delta Quadrant. So it's a good thing Lee's there. (laughs) (laughs) And thankfully, uh, rummaging through his quarters, I found his pad that has all of his notes. And so we will continue on our mission this week and we will just have his notes to read from. How about that, Richard? Awesome. How convenient that is. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I'm the snoop out of all the hosts. <laughs> That's okay. I'll cover you. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Well, before we uh, get actually moving along into our episode, I wanted to give a shout out. Um, We've received a subspace transmission, and it is from Joral Gates, and just wanted to read what he said in an email, and we're so grateful uh, to get these emails. So if you ever need to, please go to uh, trekfm.com slash contact, and you can send us an email as well. So Joral says, you guys are great. Love the show. Even though I'm a few years behind, it is very fun to listen along with others that are as into Trek as me. So thank you again for sending us that message and um, look forward to having you comment and send us more messages. Yeah. Um, Sweet. We, yeah. <laughs> It's That's always awesome. fun. I, I love the fan mail that we get. <laughs> yeah, it is so fun to hear what they have to say and what they hear, you know, because we do it. And then what, what do they actually connect with? So it's pretty fun. We would also like to um, remind you guys, we are doing our iTunes giveaway. And what do we have to give away? A fabulous, complete next generation blu-ray set so excited we appreciate the donation from ju kim a listener on the network and frequent commenter on the babel conference and so we have this set and we would love to give it away so during the month of february uh go ahead and rate our show on itunes and uh, go ahead and comment review will put you in the drawing for this amazing gift set all right so thank you uh, for those itunes reviews we look forward to uh, reading them and we will have our drawing uh, at the end of february so go ahead and leave us your five-star reviews Well, Richard, we are going to be talking about the road to Voyager. We already did our road to DS9, Deep Space Nine. So very excited to uh, talk about a little bit of Voyager here. Um, I have not, I will be honest, have seen all of Voyager. Have you, Richard? I can't even tell you how many times I've rerun that that show. (laughs) Uh, I I actually have... uh, I want to say one through four in the original. Well, obviously it's only in DVD, um, yeah. <laughs> but like I have one through four in DVD form, and then five through seven I have it in VHS. Oh, um, wow! 
Yeah, I yeah, but they I don't have a working VHS player anymore because now yeah. that Netflix is working, so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I yeah. will I will say that Voyager, I have seen more of Voyager than I have of Deep Space Nine. My brother, who I've spoken quite a bit about, he really likes Voyager. It's his second favorite. He still likes Next Gen. Oh, maybe he likes the original. Anyways, so he has, I think, seasons three through seven on DVD. And so I've had them and have watched um, them quite a bit more than Deep Space Nine. So I'm a little more familiar with the characters. Oh, so we we need to break that habit of yours. We gotta, <laughs> you gotta watch DS Nine as well. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so what, let's talk about uh, the obvious uh, setup that Next Generation did for Voyager, and that is with the Borg. And we have um, iBorg, which is the episode in Next Generation where we are introduced to Hugh. And in that episode, there is a, a Borg scout ship that gets disconnected and they save Hugh. They consider sending him back to the collective with a virus of some kind to spread and to kill all of the Borg. However, they don't do that. Um, But what they did do uh, inadvertently was send Hugh back with a sense of individuality. And then that is followed up with Descent, part one and part two, where that individuality uh, spread to a Borg cube and they are left in array, disarray, and then we have Lore come in to organize them and Lore is now their leader and uh, hijinks ensue. Right? Yep. That is exactly what the episode is. Yep. <laughs> and then we learn about uh, Data's uh, emotion ship, or at least how he gets it, uh, in, um, or at least he gets in possession of it, which I find funny. It's like a little Pac-Man, and, or at least it looks like a little Pac-Man, and yet when we get to Generations, it looks like a Chex Mix. So, <laughs> Yeah, it evolved. <laughs> it grew. <laughs> well, is that really the actual chip, or was that the one that Lore had, and then he gets the emotion chip from his father? Well, there was only one chip, uh, and he got it in Brothers, uh, but like, uh, or at least he, he installed it to Lore by accident. But like, yeah, it, um, I, I'm assuming it was because he put it inside the box, and he was going to phaser it and destroy it altogether, right. which you know, wouldn't have been good. So I'm assuming that's, that's the chip. Cause I actually thought about that. And then that he did that. I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's probably, yeah, that probably is probably is, but that's yeah. such a small chip. It <laughs> is. <laughs> I mean, to have so much emotions and, uh, and to actually, uh, have memories of, uh, his father and everything. I, I can, I can only imagine, I, I would assume it would be like a big isolinear chip or something like that. Or, you know, yeah. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's a good episode. Uh, I I actually thoroughly enjoyed this episode. I I really wished they would have said uh, said something in Voyager. I guess you could say Unimatrix Zero is uh, is one of the episodes that kind of uh, goes along with Descent Part Two, uh, Part One and Two, as well as Iborg. That whole um, uh, uh, certain drones are coming out of the uh, in a sense getting awakened um, into this. Uh, you know, uh, into this dreamland that's called Unimatrix Zero. And I guess that's kind of the same storyline. I really wish they would have connected it to each other. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it, it makes a, it makes a good story. And, I mean, it's especially, I mean, they could have actually had an ally um, in in the Delta Quad, or at least Voyager could have had a, uh, had a, a Voyager could have had an ally to help them out or something like that. I mean, maybe St. Cat's the same guy that did Hugh, and then they could just help each other out. I don't know. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it definitely a very interesting episode. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting to see the correlation of what Next Gen did with Hugh versus Seven of Nine, you know, and how they're both exploring their individuality. And um, you can just sort of see the differences there, but really how it was set up that, yeah, we could take one of the Borg and, you know, individually they're not going to be as destructive as their entire collective, you know. Mm -hmm. 
Um, there was um, Lee says for uh, his comments. Uh, well, also in dissent, we have um, Dr. Crusher being captain. And so we get to see that in uh, Lee's comments where I think a female captain was the natural choice for Voyager, but using dissent to trial run, how people would respond to that change was interesting. Star Trek is synonymous with equality, but the fact that they had to use an episode to showcase it wouldn't be a problem, a ratings killer, or that it might be a bridge too far to put a female in command chair is telling about this studio system at the time. So we do get this precursor of having a captain on the bridge, a female captain on the bridge um, with Dr. Beverly Crusher. And she does make um, some very hard choices. I mean, she was told, you need to protect the people and the ship. And um, she does a great job commanding. And I think it does set up very well for how Janeway uh, captains her ship as well. Yeah, I I agree with that. Uh, Definitely... Uh, it was a great uh, preview to Voyager, uh, whether anyone knew it or not. And it was de- uh, I, I enjoyed her as the captain, and it was it was it was marvelous. I mean, yes, yeah, like I said, I mean, it it seemed it when she was commanding the uh, the Enterprise, it seemed like she was a natural. Like Agreed. it's like it, yeah, it's like it it was like seamlessly like just like oh, okay, I'll take command. And you know, before she never. You know, we always saw her, you know, command and all that kind of stuff, and it didn't feel right for whatever reason. Maybe she was nervous, or maybe uh, she portrayed her character to be nervous or something like that, or at least that's how I, I saw it. And I have no problems with Beverly Crusher. I really wish there was more instead of, you know, seeing her kill everyone uh, that was on her operating table. <laughs> Right. Maybe not killing, but definitely uh, d- didn't not know saving. what the hell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> At least if a coin saying, dude. <laughs> but like, it's like, uh, I-, I just really wish there was far more for Beverly Crusher. I mean, yeah, we saw Troy and all that and, and, and for command uh, positions. And I-, I actually liked that episode. Uh, she seemed confident at first, and then she lost her confidence and she brought it back up. And then she made the hard decisions to do whatever she needed to do. So, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. It's, I mean, and it sucks that we, they had to preview it, but you know what, you know, money talks in a network, so they got to figure out, you know, what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And I agree with you. I mean, when she, I mean, because the entire, not the entire, she's left with a skeleton crew and obviously the ones who are new to the enterprise and the ones who, you know, are not your regulars. And so we have a cute little Lieutenant Tate and she's a little unsure of herself and, but Crusher, man, she's like, all right, let's just do this and gives her a little pep talk and. Uh, the guy who's manning wharf station and he's like, well, I guess I'll have to be right with my calculations, you know, and she shows a great amount of trust in her crew. So, and so Crusher does, and it's funny because I feel like they, when whoever comes in, like when Jordy took command, you know, and he had to be reassured or in this case, when Crusher takes command and I feel like they always go back, well, what would Picard do? And I'm like, I don't know if Picard really was as generous with his praise and, um, generous with his like expectations as we see with Jordy, Troy or Crusher and Crusher just really, uh, helps to motivate and shows that she trusts them and that she believes in them. I think more so than we ever see Picard. I think Picard's is more, uh, this is my expectation and you better live up to it, but it's unsaid. And so when Crusher is, you know, giving these commands and all right, we are going to go into the sun you know, because the board ship can't follow. I mean, that's some brave decision-making, and I think it really shows how a female captain can be and does open the door for Janeway. And you know what I uh, find funny about that is that, okay, so the reason why I was laughing, it says that, so when I was, I was, when I, I, when I was remembering that entire scene, uh, they, they were, when they were thinking about going to the sun, she was like, oh yeah, it's, uh, uh, Tate was saying, 
oh, it's like 400, uh, 400 degrees C. And I'm like, it's not C, it's Celsius. You don't say C, it's Celsius. All right. Oh, I missed that. <laughs> and I'm like, you, oh, don't read the script verbatim. <laughs> I mean, come on. You don't know what C means? Oh. Anyway, so that's what I was thinking. And, uh, and then uh, talking about that lieutenant, oh, my gosh. I thought he was a complete jerk. I was like, oh, I was like, okay, Mister, and you know, maybe that's maybe that's what they were trying to do was portray that, you know, a, a female captain. See how they do uh, with the uh, with the whole entire uh, male being a jerk because she's a female, or, or I don't know if that's what exactly what they were trying to do, but that's what it seemed like. And then, funny enough, metaphy- metaphasic shielding, uh, thanks to Doctor Rega, she was also. You know, the one of the main characters in the TNG suspicions. So yes. funny enough, she would know that more than anyone. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so another episode we wanted to highlight is Journey's End. And this is the episode where Wesley is just about ready to graduate from Starfleet Academy. And he comes on board the Enterprise, but is very aloof, distant, and sometimes a little downright mean and rude. Um, but he, uh, goes down to Dorvan five and Dorvan five is a planet that's in the demilitarized zone with the Cardassians and it is inhabited by, uh, Native Americans and the Cardassians are coming and, uh, they need the, uh, Native Americans need to be moved. And so we get this, uh, situation here and Wesley meets Lakanta who is one of the colony's holy men and goes on a vision quest and so we see Wesley deciding that graduating and staying with Starfleet is not correct for his path and then Lakanta ends up being the traveler um, but the Cardassian we see are very anxious to get their get control of their planet um, and the Pueblo revolt, as uh, mentioned, and they are wanting to stay and not be removed again. And so that is Journey's End. Yay, another Wesley Crusher episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, screech! <laughs> so let me give you uh, Lee's thoughts here. And, of course, he says, Native Americans in space. (laughs) Oh, Lee. (laughs) This episode is bizarre because it's such an important part of the foundation of the Maquis and tying into the politics politics of the Cardassians and using a very on-the-nose comparison with the treatment of Native, Native Americans in American history and showing that there's been zero progress by the 24th century. Throw in the return of the Traveler and Wesley Crusher, and it makes for quite the mishmash of ideas. Yeah. So I think it does what, why we wanted to highlight Journey's End, as Lee points out, is that we do see the Cardassians and how they are going to treat anyone within their uh, realm of control. And so uh, they're coming early to survey and see what buildings they're going to have and stuff like that. And the uh, colony is just unwilling uh, to leave. And it sort of almost begs the question, I mean, if they're... And at the end of the episode, they decide to stay and be under uh, Cardassian rule, would they end up like the Marquis? Yeah, this this episode... I mean, well, th- I mean, this... To me, this one sets up Jacote um, uh, just a little bit more. Uh, and I guess if no one's a TNG fan and they're going to miss this completely, uh, it, it's going to come out of like left field or something like that or right field because no one hits her. Um, so, <laughs> um, but like it's going to come out of right field and it's just, uh, you know, I, you know, it, okay, so. For me, for me on this episode, it's very personal because it's a it's a it's a reenactment in a sense in the 24th century uh, of my own people because I'm Muscalero Indian, and my family is actually out in uh, New Mexico uh, in the Muscalero uh, Indian Reservation. Now, close family that's that's I'm a little dist I'm a little bit more distant, but that's where my ancestry comes from. Uh, 
and it just yeah, this one hits home really hard. I mean, they have to they're being forced to relocate as we as they did throughout the United States, you know, a very painful and bloody chapter of the United States history. Uh and yeah. Um ouch. <laughs> I mean, the, there was no point of, I mean, to me there was no point of having Wesley there. there. There was no point. I mean, well, except for the traveler, but really the only it didn't even re, he didn't even resolve the problems. I mean, it's so in a sense you could have done without Wesley and, and the Traveler, but you know it is season seven, so you know everyone's basically departing. And yeah, funny we enough, had to tie up the loose ends. Right, exactly, tie up the loose ends. And it's funny because I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, he was in he was in the wedding scene of Star Trek Nemesis uh, in the very beginning, and I'm like, you know, we never really hear about it. So I just looked it up, and uh, it looks like. Uh, Looks like Crusher went to went back to Starfleet, and now he works uh, as an engine in engineering on the USS Titan, Riker's ship. So, uh-huh. so just FYI, because uh, I dr- I was like thinking, I was like, whatever happened to him? I'm like, not that I care, but you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it's Wesley Crusher. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of Wesley. I'm not. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely um, a very. I mean, I, I don't know about everyone else, but I, that that story, I know that I've seen it with, you know, family members, and I know that some of them took that a little bit hard, based based on what uh, based on the content because of you know we're Native Americans, so or yeah. Part. <laughs> so um, give me a quick rundown of. And let me know if I've got the parallels right. So this colony uh, is going to choose to stay with Cardassian. And the Maquis is also in the demilitarized zone. And they are under Cardassian rule as well? Um, so so uh, Dor- uh, Dorvan uh, 5 is on the wrong side of the border. They're, they're in Cardassian space. Um, so the demilitarized zone, there's no colonies, there's no, or at least there shouldn't be, uh, there's no colonies, no bases, no ships are allowed in that area. Um, and then the, the Maquis, which are closer to the Badlands, uh, closer to Bajor, which I don't know how close, uh, Dorvan 5 is, but like, um, basically there's, they're, they're, col- they're colonies that are along the neutral zone or close to the neutral zone or even in the neutral zone. And basically, the the um, the Cardassians are harassing them, and or vice versa, and basically it turns into an armed militia. And so Starfleet is not getting involved, and so the Bajor or the Maquis, that's they take it upon themselves to uh, fight the Cardassians because they feel that they're being mistreated. Mm-hmm. And they're not supposed to be getting supplies from Starfleet, but yet we see evidence of Starfleet guns and stuff like that. Is that correct? Yep, smuggling. Yeah, they uh, officers smuggling uh, weapons in, and then they're well. We'll talk about that in preemptive strike because they talk about Type okay. Eight phasers and photon torpedoes, which is right. you know not something a small uh, small freighter has. It it's that's a starship. <laughs> right. Okay. All right, so that's Journey's End, and um, again, listeners, let us know if you think uh, the colony would actually end up uh, fighting like the Maquis after they are under Cardassian rule. Would they end up the same way? Oh, just want to say, um, everyone, if you listen to the first few minutes, uh, they mentioned Earl Grey, you know, with uh, Admiral Necheyev, so, you know, hear out for it, you know, ding! <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Picard goes all out and welcomes Admiral Necheyev. And again, she's fabulous, Admiral. (sighs) (sighs) We'll save that for another time. (laughs) All right. Well, that does lead us right into Preemptive Strike. And this is the one uh, with Ensign Rowe. And she is sent in to infiltrate uh, a Maquis group. And um, Richard, what else? Tell us about the episode. Um, so basically, uh, the Maquis are becoming a problem uh, for the Federation because it's uh, it's threatening the uh, the treaty that the Federation Cardassian Union uh, 
signed, uh, I guess, into law or whatever. Um, they uh, the, the treaty that they signed, and basically, it's threatening everything that they sh- they want to do, which was peace. They want peace between uh, between us and the Kardashian Union, even though we really don't hear a mention about a war between them. And you know, we've seen several times or several instances where their their weapons are far less superior than ours. So whatever, <laughs> but let's not, let's not talk about that, <laughs> but like it's, it's so basically, uh, they need an operative to basically tear it from the inside out. And Roe happens to finish advanced tactical training and, uh, where like, I think what 50% sounds like buds or something like that. Uh, uh, buds is, uh, Navy SEALs training. Uh, and, it, it, you know, she's fresh out of the, uh, fresh out of the advanced training, uh, uh, tactical training, and they want to recruit her to infiltrate, uh, the, uh, Maquis ranks and find out what their operations are. And basically, you know, the Federation is going to capture them and basically clean up the mess. Uh, well, um, as she's infiltrated, she infiltrated, uh, successfully and, Basically, uh, she sympathizes with them, and it's all thanks to a guy, an older guy, who uh, has common interests with her, likes her, and basically treats her like a daughter. And I'm, I'm assuming um, they were going off of a father-daughter relationship is what it turned into, or at least that's what it seemed like to me. And she, she, it might have been that she thought uh, she was like his, uh, he was like her father. Um, well, I think then, that plays out very well because... Yeah. Uh, you know, because it, that role was played by Picard and their relationship and how she felt that Picard, you know, finally trusted her. And, you know, they get that father relationship. But then now in this episode, you can see that, oh, there is and then that he sort of takes place. And so seeing that change of, you know, her deciding to it continually tell Picard, yes, I can do this. I can do this to the end where she decides to betray Picard for another father figure. Right. I was going to get to that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's why I was mentioning it, but no, no, you're good. You're good. Oh, I, I like where your mind is, <laughs> but like, uh, you know, basically, yeah, it's a great episode. I, I mean, she sympathizes. I can see that if someone, uh, I don't, I mean, I guess it would depend on the situation, but I could see myself doing something like that. If, if, if I were to do that, but I mean, at the same time, you know, you gotta, I mean, you're, an officer uh, of a non-military association, <laughs> and uh, you know you're you're there you're, you're there to you know basically find out what's going on, and you're gonna tear them apart on I mean one piece at a time, and basically that's what it is, and um, yeah I can see it I mean it, yeah I can see it totally see it yeah it's a good episode it is <laughs> Lee has to say with. Uh, Journey's End, the Maquis two-parter, we come to preemptive strike, which builds up the Maquis as a threat again, showing the conflict among Federation and Maquis fighters internally and on the galaxy stage. The Maquis by this stage are a really fascinating introduction to Trek and originally planned to introduce Roe to DS9. I often wonder how often great it would be to have Roe go to Voyager. Would we have had the conflict that Voyager really missed if she'd gone instead of the plank of wood that was Chakotay. These are Lee's words, not mine. (laughs) (laughs) And I agree with them, but I don't think she would be good uh, with Voyager. I really thought she could have been a really good... Like what they did with the novels... Uh, which is great. Uh, she's now the station. She's a captain now, but like she's she was the station commander of Deep Space Nine before and after it got destroyed. Spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, but like, yeah, it it, it, she, it for me reading the books. I mean, it was it was really awesome to um, you know see her grow. I mean, after after everything we've seen in her and uh, preemptive strike. And to go back to being a captain of a star of a starbase, a very tactical and strategic uh, uh, starbase, you know, is great. And I, and I absolutely love her character. She's great in those books, um, or whenever they're written. But like, yeah, it's it's very. Uh, I, I, one, you know, that's one thing I really hate about the Maquis. It's a great storyline for Deep Space Nine and everything. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a starter for Voyager. Mm-hmm. But I really wish they didn't eradicate them like they mm-hmm. did. 
uh, in Voyager, or, or well, no, well, Deep Space Nine, they really didn't eradicate them, but well, did they? Well, I guess Michael Eddington was the was the lat was really the last stand. I guess that was the end of the Marquis right then and there. Um, anyway, so Deep Space Nine fans will will know what I'm talking about, but basically, uh, they they basically did a last stance, and practically everyone died, hmm. and only a handful came out. And then, of course, you know, we know in Voyager that. Uh, they received their first subspace uh, from Earth was the eradic- uh, was the eradication of the Maquis, and you know obviously everyone was like, "Oh my God!" Oh! Even though it's been like four or five years since they really were a part of the cause, and now they're part of Starfleet. So I was like, "Okay, mm-hmm. no need to." I hate to say it like this, but no need to uh, cry over spilt milk. <laughs> <laughs> it's already done. Yeah, Lee continues and says, always thought the character that Roe refers to as defecting to the Maquis was Chakotay until it was later explained that he left the Academy before then. Another great chance to make Trek Universe really click that went missing. Felt like a good precursor at the time. Well, I don't think to the journey uh, hosts would agree with you because they are uh, Janeway Chakotay shippers all the way. (laughs) To the journey. To the journey. So, well, what you what do you yeah. think of the episode? Um, I really liked it, and as you were talking about it, it was so funny because yeah, Ro came back and uh, came back from her tactical training, and I'm not kidding you, and I don't know why it like kept being pointed out, but every single time someone saw her, Ro, you look great, and I'm like. Well, what does, did she not look good beforehand? I mean, was she more fit? She still looked like the bro, but yeah, like everyone's like, you look great. Training does good on you. You look great. And I was like, she looks the same. I don't know. That was just something minor that I picked up. (laughs) I didn't even notice that until you just said that. Cause yeah, Yeah. they do say that quite a bit. I mean, they do. Maybe they were over, they were trying to uh, emphasize that. She'd it's been very rigorous. Well, it's been it's vigorous and it's it's hard. It's not it's not something that everyone would be able to do because, you know, like you said, you know, fifty percent of the damn class drops. So um, yeah, yeah, maybe that's what they were trying to do. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So an interesting work uh, watching journey, journeys in and preemptive strike, and then hearing what you said um, about Wesley and how he comes back and he's back in Starfleet. I mean, what does that say about the Starfleet message? You know, that we have both Wesley and Roe leaving Starfleet, but then in the end, to have the happy story, they both come back into the Starfleet fold. I thought that was interesting. Well, I guess you could say the criminal justice system is more about rehabilitation, as we found out in the beginning of Voyager, that... Uh, Paris was, yeah, he was serving time, but he was also being rehabilitated to be more productive into a society that it is in Star Trek. So what I'm thinking is, is that they're more forgiving and they're doing what the criminal justice system is supposed to do. Rehabilitate. (laughs) I'm so glad that you brought up Tom Paris because I would like to uh, ask this question. Do you think that there was a crossover uh, miss with Voyager? Because here we have Tom Paris, and as all true Next Generation fans know, we saw uh, Robert Duncan McNeil, who plays Tom Paris, actually in The Next Generation with the first duty mm-hmm. and he shows up as cadet nick lacarno and in that episode just for a quick rundown uh wesley's at the academy and they are doing um some maneuver and one of the their classmates dies and so there's an investigation and uh nick lacarno is the squadron leader sort of like the blue angels of starfleet academy and yeah yep. Okay. Yeah, uh, that was a the the cluster starburst or something like that. I think that's what it was. But yeah, uh, but I think the reason why they didn't do that was for royalties. I think um, I can't remember the reason why, but they were going to do it that way, um, where he got in trouble and and what, and that would have been great. 
to yeah, bring so into that. Yeah, so that sets it up like, okay, so we have Nick Lacarno, and at the end, you know, he is, you know, kicked out of Starfleet and, you know, got this, he's, you know, been thrown in jail, or sorry, um, you know, yeah, well, he tries to cover it up and then was kicked yeah. out of Starfleet. And so um, we have at the beginning of Voyager, Tom Paris, who is a former Starfleet officer who's been thrown in jail for activities with the rebel group, um, the Maquis. So it's like, we've got this former Starfleet who's in trouble. Couldn't we have taken Nick Lacarno and just use that backstory to give in more context to Tom Paris? Well, actually it would be Nick Lacarno. I, I think they did only because they just changed the name. I mean, really they didn't change the story. I mean, cause exactly. Like, yeah. So why even change the name? I mean, the, it was having the same purpose, you know, but now we would have had, you know, Nick Lacarno, if he was Tom Paris, then we understand, oh yeah, this is why he was out of Starfleet. And then, you know, it was the same story. I just could have given, I don't know. Was it a missed there? Well, like I said, you know, it's, it's probably because of royalties. <laughs> it's probably what it is. It's money. That's probably what it was. But like, yeah, uh, I I agree. I totally agree. But I I mean, I, you know, it, to me, uh, that is his backstory. Nick is Tom Paris. I mean, just changed name and a slightly altered story because it was a what a sh he falsified records for a shuttle shuttle accident, and basically that's what it is. It was a whatever those uh, performance uh, vehicles are. I don't know. I don't think they're shuttlecrafts. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's good. I, I that is his backstory for me, <laughs> as yeah, far as I'm right? concerned. Yeah, so that was interesting. So we definitely, I guess we could mention the first duty as the setup of a could be story for Tom Paris, but a miss. <laughs> um, also, so we uh, something that we could also mention as well that uh, later in, uh, in TNG, uh, the, there's an episode called The Price, and just like just like how Lee got stuck in the Deltic water. He got too curious about a wormhole and now he's stuck there. So, um, serves him right. Yeah. Serves him right. He'll get, he'll get back. We'll find a conduit or a uh, subspace conduit of some sort. I don't know. Yeah. We'll Voyager got home. Lee will get home. I'm confident. Yeah. yeah. In 20 years from now, and we probably won't be hosts of this, t uh, of this <laughs> show anymore. <laughs> but like, but like it correlates with the Voyager false prophets uh, later on down the road in Voyager, and I I absolutely love that they uh, they tied those two together because it's like oh yeah I remember that episode that was a long time ago <laughs> so I just I, yeah I love I love it when they do the continuity and uh, bridge the two shows together it's it's great yeah. Um, not to um, skip out on another great, so we talked about the Borg and the Maquis, um, another good character that was introduced in Next Generation and continues on Voyager uh, was Q. Mm. Did you like Q? Did you like him better in Next Gen or Voyager or the same? He was, I liked him more in TNG only because he he had that comical side, but he also had that serious side, like he was teaching a lesson. Whereas Voyager, he wasn't doing that. It seemed like it's like, oh god, we got to be we got to deal with Voyager again, and I got to deal with Aunt Kathy all over again. <laughs> <laughs> and it just it just seems like she's a nuisance, just like just like he was in Deep Space Nine. He was a nuisance on, and he only appeared once. And um, on Deep Space Nine, and it, it he was a nuisance. He was trying to be comical to a character that didn't give a damn about what he was doing, and just said, "You know what? I ain't taking your crap. Get out." Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I but I think it worked well. I mean, there are some good stories in Voyager uh, that deal with Q, um, and but I think the episodes in TNG with Q were far better. Um, mm -hmm. Then, uh, I mean, except for Death Wish. Death Wish was actually one of my favorite uh, episodes because it's just it. You know, it. We get to see the continuum and uh, you know how it's how endless it is and how it boring it can get. And I could see that. Right. Yeah, yeah and and in Death Wish we do get uh, Riker coming back there. Mm. Um, however, it just is washed away as you know Q. 
that right? that is Riker in the Civil yeah. War, yeah, <laughs> or something like that. I don't remember his name. Yeah, yeah. But it, Riker wouldn't be around if it wasn't for for him, or it wasn't for the other Q to save Thaddeus Riker in the Civil War. Yeah, American Civil War. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I like Q. Um, I have seen a couple of the episodes, uh, the Q in Voyager. And um, the one that always comes to my mind is when Q gives his son to, for Janeway to raise. You know, I just don't see next-gen Q and how he would have gotten to that point to Voyager Q, to here, take my kid type of thing. So... I don't know. I, I like next gen Q better. Is it Deja Q? Well, is it? No, that's that's no, that's a next gen. Yeah, hide in. Is it hide? No, Q? no, that's that's next gen. Hide and Q is the one. That's oh, I'm looking. I'm, I'm looking at the freaking. <laughs> oh, you're looking at TNG list. Q. T- uh, it's Q. Uh, Q two. Yes, Q two. Yes, that is the one. Yes. Yep. And yeah. oh, it's a son. That's right. It's Keegan De, uh, Delancey. Yeah, it's that's his right. Actual son. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah. I didn't know that. I actually didn't know that. <laughs> little trivia. Yes. Uh, so what's what's next? What what would you like to talk about? I, we we're almost an ad hour actually. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one other minor character uh, that shows up on Voyager is Lieutenant Barkley, and uh, tell us about. Barkley's experience on Voyager, Richard? Well, uh, Barkley is the genius and mastermind of the Pathfinder program that uh, we find we, we hear about in the later episode or in the later seasons of uh, Voyager. And basically, you know, it's a oversized telephone uh, that can you know transmit messages, orders, whatever, and whatnot. And you know later on, well, it, it's 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 very interesting. Actually, you know what? <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to admit this, but uh, when <laughs> when they finally, I've watched uh, Voyager uh, the whole entire th- way through. But oh my god, I I was a little bit tearful when I uh, when they were talking about uh, uh, hearing about home and everything. I'm like, oh my god. Why am I crying? Uh, <laughs> it strikes a chord with you. It did. It did. And I didn't want it to. <laughs> but like, it's like, oh my god! Uh, you know, after I think I think it was like season five or six or something. I think it was season five or six. I can't remember which one it is. But like Pathfinder, uh, when they finally uh, got communication from home, I can only imagine. Even when um, when they talk about like message in a bottle. And I, that's the episode where we get first introduced to the USS Prometheus, the the advanced long range tactical uh, starship that's um, fondly used <laughs> as as a military ship. Anyway, uh, so but like you know, after you know, it, it's basically a away mission for the Doctor, and when he comes back and t- uh, says, you know, I got the message to Starfleet and talked straight with headquarters. I'm like, oh my god, that one did it to me too. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, imagine just. All that, uh, you know, being stuck out there for five, six years or something like that, and your first time talking to home is, you know, it's very heartfelt. I, I mm-hmm. love it. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's basically what uh, Barkley was, and his whole mission uh, was to make contact with Voyager when they found out that they were out there. So. Yeah. 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 So very good tie-in. So, yeah, we have covered the Borg the Maquis. We talked about Q and Tom Paris, Nick Lacarno. Anything else? Last thoughts on Voyager and Next Gen, Richard. So we have one more character to talk about. That he was in TNG as well as now, and then he became more of a regular in Voyager. So, but I mean, I guess we don't have to tie it in. Again, probably royalty again. Because <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, so who who is it? So his name is Vorik, V-O-R-I-K. Okay, and he was in uh, Lower Decks. Well, it, he, well, his character, just like with Tom Paris, his name oh. was changed. Uh, it's I think it's Turek, I don't know Torak, I don't know. 
uh, T-A-U-R-I-K, and he was in Lower Decks, and uh, he was one of those ensigns that were part of that, um, oh, it, uh, again, it's another, that's another episode uh, that deals with the Maquis, it gives the relationship, what the relationship between the Bajorians and the Cardassians, and how abusive they can get, and basically they used um, Ensign Cito as like a like a prisoner or something like that and basically what was going to happen is like you know in order to get it so they're they're trying to smuggle a, a cardassian across the border so he can give intel because he doesn't want a war between the federation and cardassian well in order to go back he needed an excuse so something like Cito is a bajoran um and he was going to take her as a prisoner and then go back across the border and that would be his excuse why mm-hmm. and and all that and then he was supposed to send her in a torpedo and then fly her back. Well, it got destroyed, and, well, she died. So Turok is, uh, was one of those. Um, it was showing, like, the lower uh, like the lower enlisted. So, mm-hmm. you know, outside, you know, from their perspective, which is, uh, I love that. <laughs> it's a great perspective, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he was a part of that. So, and then, of course, um we'd never hear about him after that. And then Borat comes across, it comes into um, engineering lo and behold. And funny enough, that other guy is also an engineer too. So there's another one. <laughs> yeah. So what are your final thoughts? Do you think that next gen, I mean, we talked about last time how next gen set up uh, deep space nine. Do you think next gen set up Voyager or do you think that was more the responsibility of Deep Space Nine, or, or what are your thoughts with Next Gen and Voyager? Well, when it deals with TNG and Voyager, I really think that they're, yeah, they they were testing the waters for for Voyager, and uh, obviously with Descent Part Two, you know, female captain. How would everyone like, uh, you know, the Indians, uh, Native American story? And also, uh, you know, the Maquis story and whatnot. And I think it worked well. I don't know if that was their intention. But, I mean, to me, Voyager, I mean, that piece of the uh, of the story is, like, very, very, very small. I mean, because it only dealt, we, we really didn't really deal with it uh, for, what, I think it was like four or five episodes in the first season. And then sparsely throughout the whole entire seven years. Or seven seasons, so I think it's minute. I mean, um, the more the story that was more compelling and uh, more relevant to Voyager was uh, Journey's End, because obviously we hear about the Indians later on down, or Native Americans. They visit the Eskimos in Voyager, or the uh, the um, the aliens that they visit visited the uh, Eskimos in, on Earth, and you know it kind of ties that in, and you know we solemnly hear about Chakotay's uh, ancestry about being a Native American and how they travel around. So I guess that's more relevant than any, than most of them because we really don't hear about Bajorans um, like we do in Deep Space Nine, and uh, it's more for them. But, I mean, it's mm-hmm. a great, great send-off. It really is, So especially for Season 7. Yeah, so. and I think uh, Next Gen, I think they did try their best, but I think the lead into Deep Space Nine was a little bit more natural, obviously, because they were the show to come directly, you know, after or, you know, during Next Gen. And so at the time, like Next Gen wasn't, you know, running their new episodes when Voyager came on. Um, but there was that crossover between with the movies. And so getting an actual storyline from the next gen it's like that had to be done in hindsight you know Mm -hmm. and so not as much as uh what next gen did for deep space nine with that setup and how there were episodes that were there specifically designed to uh launch deep space nine so i think um it, it was more of a hindsight type thing well what can we pull from next gen uh to tie into voyager but and I appreciate that because it is keeping uh, the continuity of uh, of Starfleet there. So well, and, and you know, it, it, to be fair on Voyager, I mean, it, don't get me wrong, it, it's it had a rough three seasons, uh, first three seasons, and then it got really good. Or at least I, that's my opinion, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they ran into the Equinox, that's that was my favorite. That was actually one of my favorite stories. <laughs> but like, uh, it's it, it's it's. 
Voyager is truly a story on its own. It really is. I mean, it's pay. I mean, if you want to talk about which, uh, to me, which seasons were more unique than any other, it was Enterprise, TOS, and Voyager. And that's mm-hmm. only because, well, and I guess TNG. T- uh, yeah, well, all of them, but regardless. All right, all of them. Yeah, yeah <laughs> all of them. Screw it. But, I mean, if you want to talk about more unique, I mean, Voyager truly was on its own, and it had to prove itself on its own uh, to make new stories, maybe even recreate new stories. But they're in a whole different part of space where they got no support. I mean, that's that's truly, you know, a, on its own. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's lost in it's lost in the Delta Quarter and it's lost on UPN or whatever ne- network it was on. Yeah. And so or not lost, but like on its own. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I I mean, and I think that's and it was and the show was extremely brave to do that or the network is extremely brave to do that cuz I didn't like Voyager at first until it started really getting good, which was the latter half of right. Voyager. So Yeah. Well, and uh, I think when you say that, yeah, Voyager was on its own. And, you know, they were... Voyager came because Deep Space Nine, well, it's so boring because it's on a space station and all the critics that were criticizing Deep Space Nine. So, you know, but how do you have another ship named Enterprise when you've still got Picard's crew going around in movies? And it seems like a very good... uh, you know, answer to all of these critics. All right, we're not going to do another station. We're going to have another ship. And yes, it's not the Enterprise, but that's okay. Um, And yeah, it is. They are very much on their own. And I think that also pairs what Voyager did with them being on their own is very similar to Enterprise, you know, and how Captain Archer, he's out there in space. There's no one else that he can call for backup, you know, and I think those uh, two parallel stories run very nicely with Enterprise following that. I mean, albeit before um, the original series timeline, but, you know, it's that same theme of, yeah, okay, we're out here and getting, again, back to that family situation of you're my family. And so those themes definitely ring true and is what Trek is to me. Ding. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, they truly were pioneers I mean, of, of, or at least in the nineties uh, for Trek. I mean, it paved, uh, paved the way for really good television or at least I thought it was great television. I mean, I got hooked on enterprise and I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And same thing with Voyager when it first came out too, and Deep Space Nine. I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, I, I understand. Uh, you know, I've I've seen all the interviews of uh, them uh, talking about uh, it's a space station. You know, you're, you're about exploring space, but it was like you know, at that time we've already explored quite a bit, and why not have the action come to us? So I mean, it's a great story. I love Deep Space Nine. It's a great story. I'm excited for the new one. <laughs> yes, me too. All right. But I'm not listening to anything. All my feeds, if it says Discovery, nope, I don't want to hear about it. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if it's clean. Nope, nope. Mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> Just listen to Brandon. He's always posting. It's going to be the best, and he's so optimistic, and I just, yep, it's going to be good, and I'm going to watch it. Who's not going to watch it, first yep. of all? Yeah, so. exactly. If you're... Yep, you're a true fan. Yep, you'll watch yeah. it. It doesn't matter if you hate it or love it. Doesn't matter. You're gonna you're gonna watch it. Who cares? <laughs> so we will have to, as we watch it, uh, figure out how the next generation uh, is helping and launching, uh, or how Discovery. or how the Discovery is helping TNG. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, the road to Voyager isn't the only topic that we've been talking about here on the network. Here's a quick look at what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Was the BBC wrong in doing this? Not under the auspices that this is a kid's show and showing it during, you know, uh, when, when kids would be watching. Because if you think about it, there's uh, 75 other episodes that they did show, some with some minor editing, which I think would have been appropriate. The 602 Club. I think they did a great job. 
casting her, casting Melissa as Supergirl, because she has the right mixture of that Kansas Midwest meekish kind of personality, but you know what she's capable of. And I think that's a really nice analog to the way that Christopher Reeve played Clark. Stage nine, a podcast about the people who make Star Trek. He has worked with Robert Rodriguez. He was Rodriguez's cinematographer before Rodriguez started shooting his own movies, having worked with him on From Dusk Till Dawn. Not the TV show From Dusk Till Dawn, the original masterpiece. Maybe, okay, here's maybe see, the best. That, that's always uh, well, where we go right off the rails right okay. there. So you're throwing in the word masterpiece right there. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. You can listen to every show on the network at trek.fm with links for iTunes, streaming services, and a direct download link. This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPod, iPad, Kindle, Android, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trek.fm. Thank you, Audible, for supporting Earl Grey and Trek FM. If you are a weekly listener and would like to directly help Earl Grey, please consider becoming a patron of Trek FM. At patreon.com slash trekfm, you can choose a pledge level and receive rewards for becoming a Trek FM patron. At $5 a month, gets you into our patron zone. This is where you get exclusive content and access to our early releases of our podcast. $15 a month will get you participating in our monthly roundtable discussions. These are so fun, and this is how I got started on the network. And at $25 a month, we'll get you associate producer credits for any podcast that you choose. And we would like to take this moment to thank our current Patreon associate producer, Michael Huter. Thank you for supporting Earl Grey. Another way to help out the network and get cool stuff is to visit Redbubble. At redbubble.com slash shop slash Trek FM, you can find amazing designs by Aaron Harvey, our uh, network. Oh, what is he? He's our art guy. He does everything. And have you got stuff from Redbubble at all, Richard? I have. Uh, actually, I... I have six or seven shirts, uh, Truck FM, uh, each different from each other. And I, I, I actually, well, I wish I could turn my computer around, but uh, yeah. I actually have a sticker that says Truck FM on it. Oh, awesome. Yep. I have a couple of their t-shirts and love wearing it and supporting the network. So with each purchase, a portion of the sales does go to Trek FM. You can connect with other Trek FM listeners on our favorite place, The Babel Group. You can search that, B-A-B-E-L, on Facebook, or you can like the facebook.com slash trekfm page for show updates and announcements. The network is also on Twitter at Trek FM. If you would like to contact Lee, Richard, or Amy, that's me, visit trek.fm slash contact to send us a subspace message, and we just might read your email on a future podcast. You can also find us on social media. So Richard, where can people find you on the interwebs? Well, they can find me uh, popping in and out of the Babel Conference. Uh, I like to cause trouble here and there, but... Don't tell anyone. Uh, <laughs> and I also am on Twitter at xransom. How about yourself? Well, I am also on Twitter, and I'm still trying to figure it out. I still, I'm, I just grew up on Facebook. Well, grew up, you know, since it came out. So Twitter's sort of new to me, and I always wonder. If people are following me, if they're going to figure out what our next podcast is on, because what I'm watching <laughs> sort of leads into what we're talking about. So my last three tweets were, I'm watching Preemptive Strike. I'm watching Journey's End, you know. <laughs> so that's always fun. You could get a little hint as to what we're going to be talking about if you follow me on Twitter. <laughs> But I also enjoy the Babel Conference. I love that. And it is a great place to talk uh, Star Trek and a very good atmosphere and lots of great people that we interact with. Join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Today is a good day to die. Great joy and gratitude. Mm-hmm.